lovely Man Talks podcast listeners. This is the very first episode, and we're super jacked to bring you an amazing hour with an amazing individual. But first, let me introduce myself. My name is Roger Nairn. I'm the director of marketing for Man Talks, and I'm delighted to introduce to you the man on my right, the founder of Man Talks, Connor Beaton. Connor, why don't you give listeners a little bit of an idea of uh, what Man Talks is all about and what our listeners can expect with this podcast in particular. Awesome. So really the, the intention of this podcast is to hunt down those those men in the world that, that we deem in, inspiring, that we think are inspiring. And, and what that really looks like is these are men that are making a difference in the world in awesome. some capacity. Awesome. So with that, we'd like to introduce our first guest, Mr. Philip McKernan. Connor, you know Phil and uh, Philip, and, and why don't you tell listeners just a little bit more about him and what we can expect with this interview. Yeah, amazing. I, I love that. I had the honor of meeting Philip last year. I actually asked him to speak at the very first Man Talks. And the, the cool thing was that I had heard so much about Philip and so many great things from, from so many people that I, I really thought were incredible. And so I thought, this, this guy must be amazing. This guy must be something special. I didn't know too, too much about him, but he came and spoke and absolutely like rocked the house. It was, it was absolutely incredible. And he's just one of the most genuine, hard-hitting guys that you'll ever meet. I'm sure this interview will be filled yeah. with like no filter. Uh, which no, is, there's definitely incredible. no filter. And, and I really, really, really think that this interview can change some people's lives. Uh, it's absolutely incredible. Um, there's some amazing, uh, amazing things to learn coming out of it. In fact, I'd, I'd grab a pen and paper because there's some, some really cool stuff to... Uh, the foghorn's going off in the background. Absolutely. Uh, this is all raw stuff. Anyways, um, with that, uh, let us introduce to you Mr. Philip McKernan. You've got some living yet to do. I won't give up on you. See these machines can break. All right. So, Philip, welcome. Welcome. Yeah. Thanks. Thank so, thanks so much for uh, coming on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. The first ever podcast. The first ever. Yes. Yeah. It's not my first ever podcast. My first ever podcast in my own home. Oh. So I was literally uh, sitting here looking over Vancouver. So that's a little unusual. We have the most beautiful view you could possibly imagine. Yeah. 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 I feel like we should probably take a picture of that. And post it on. <laughs> this should, we should. This should just be our studio. Yeah. Sean, <laughs> no, let's do the deal. <laughs> yeah. Live streaming after this. Yeah. Uh, from Philip McKernan. <laughs> Perfect. So Philip, if you can. Uh, maybe just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, I've gathered from my accent pretty quickly. I'm Irish, um, so that's a big part of my not just my heritage and my history, but it's a big part of who I am as an individual. And I think it's really formed a lot of who I am and in many different ways, in ways that I probably can't even fathom myself. And I basically, I kind of, I suppose, for most of my life, I feel that I meandered in life. And I had my, my, my ups and downs and my challenges. But for the most part, I was an incredible actor in life. Um, I, I often say, jokingly, that I would have won at least uh, two or three Academy Awards if I could get into the awards because I was pretending to be absolutely anybody and everybody but the person who I was underneath. And some might find that fluffy, some might relate to that. Uh, but it was an exhausting journey of trying to live up to the expectations I had of myself and, and others had on me, um, but really trying to impress people from an egotistical standpoint. Um, as a result of that, I took on all sorts of unauthentic avenues, aspirations and goals and achieved many things, but often found myself at the top of that mountain looking around and being unsatisfied. Successful but unsatisfied in many respects. I finally found the courage to kind of start leaning into, you know, what I what I do now and what I love doing. But in that journey, I basically was in the coffee business, I was in the wine business, um, I was in the vitamins business. Probably for five years each. Actually, it was exactly five years, pretty much down to the month. I just had this need to move on despite the, I suppose, criticism I got. And I never settled. I kept moving um, and ultimately took a big move and came to North America about uh, eight years ago to kind of almost reinvent myself. Amazing. Mm -hmm. that's, that's fantastic. That's quite, quite the journey. It's, it's not many places you can say you were unauthentic, you were lost, <laughs> you were acting most of your life, you were unhappy, and you get, yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. But, yeah. but I think I think that's, there's not enough what I call the real conversation, like people mm -hmm. actually having a space where they can find the courage personally, but also mm -hmm. have the space in which they can share that maybe they weren't as authentic as they, you know, and, and, I, and hats off to you guys for creating this space, and thank mm -hmm. you. Thank you. Thank and you. Yeah, again, thanks for being a part of it. I think, you know, what was interesting about your journey and what I really heard out of that was that space of inauthenticity. And so many people go after that. So many people go after the dollar and, and, and just wanting to achieve some sort of like financial goal or status. What kind of made that shift for you? Like we talk about defining moments a lot and, or at least we're going to. And what was sort of like one of those defining moments that really helped 
shift you in your awareness from, okay, this isn't actually who I am or who I want to be. What, what does that look like for me? I think defining moments are created over a period of time. Mm. And then there's <laughs> often a catalyst that just hits it. Um, and I can't honestly remember that there was one moment, but there's probably incidences that I can reflect upon now with the luxury of hindsight and say, for example, um, I remember just one that's just coming to me, I don't know why, but I remember sitting at a, in a party, going outside into the, the, the deck or the veranda or whatever the hell you call it, the balcony, and there's three guys, you know, looking down and, and reflecting upon their BMWs. They literally three BMWs parked in a row, and no disrespect to BMW owners or car owners or people who love cars, etc., but... Just the depth in which they spoke about their cars, it was it was kind of slightly frightening. And at that time, one of them turned to me and said, oh, yeah, McKernan, you're making some changes. You're moving away from Dublin. And I said, yes, oh, I really want to do that. One of the guys said, I really want to do that myself. But, you know, I'm saving up to buy a house. And suddenly he went into all, all the rationalization and justification of why he couldn't do something that was. So what I was sensing there, and this is not me attempting to judge that man or woman, but what we often do is when we chase those materialistic items, we often create a prison for ourselves, a prison of, of entrapment, which are, each of those are often a bar, which we basically place around us, we stay in the middle, and before you know it, we've created a, a prison. And then when it comes to years later, when we hit the midlife crisis or whatever it happens to be, which I think is an illusion, um, we justify that we can't make a move because we need the money to pay down the toys and the things that have entrapped us along the way. Mm. And we use the very things that have created part of the problem as the reason not to make a change, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Mm. Yeah. You, you just said that midlife crisis you think is an illusion. I wonder if you can explain yeah, that. Yeah, I, mean, I, think it's, I think it's real, but I don't think it's what, what, what the scientists and, and the psychiatric profession right. has it out to be. I think simply a midlife crisis is your, is your life catching up on you. Um, it's, it's settling in an area of your life, doing work you don't enjoy, staying in a relationship you don't, doesn't fulfill you, and living in, in a body that you're not proud of or you're not, you're not comfortable in your own skin, and eventually that shit catches up with you. So when you hit a midlife crisis, it's your decisions or indecisions simply catching up the things that you have not looked upon, the things you've been afraid to question. I think the biggest sadness I see in the world today is that how few people are prepared to literally stop on their tracks, not obsess, but stop on their tracks and ask themselves some really simple questions now in advance of hitting a, hitting a wall. It's almost like the chiropractor gets the people who come to him or her that have a bad back. He or she really wants the client hmm. who sees the value of maintenance. My view is my biggest requests or calling to people is don't wait till you hit a crisis to stop and check how authentic your path is. Like constantly, not constantly, because that becomes then, um, and it, that can develop an insecurity, but, but check in about it and constantly question yourself and really ask hard, simple questions about the, the depth and authenticity of my current existence. Mm. That's what my, my belief is. And, and for those that are out there that, that haven't necessarily uh, been in crisis and, or, or what are some of the signs that you may not be living in a, you know, in a authentic life? Like, what do you look for? People who don't want to, people who, who, you know, if you say to them, are you happy? And the response is very quick. If they go, oh, absolutely. <laughs> do you know what you do? Absolutely. Yeah, we all How are. happy is your marriage? That's great. Yeah. Um, how, how confident are you in your own skin? Oh, you know, excellent. And that to me is just a little bit too fast. Mm. Um, and, and I often, people say to me, oh, you know, they might make a comment about my life as successful it is or how good a parent I, I am. And I don't believe I'm a good parent. I think I'm, I'm way better than I was, but I never allow that kind of complacency to mm. kick in. And there's a balance between not becoming complacent um, and also finding a place to, 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 be, to, be, to allow yourself to get inspired by your own actions, so to speak. Um, anger is another one. Um, so if you're if you're somebody, often people say, you know, I'm not angry. But someone's the last time get angry. Oh, I was gonna I was gonna kill somebody yesterday because they cut cut me off in, in, in the traffic, or they bumped into me at the airport. And so anger, that kind of passive aggressiveness that pops its head out in social environments, is an indicator that you're not in alignment. Mm-hmm. Um, and and people who bitch about other people, um, you know, mm-hmm. are constantly you know pointing the finger, they're bitching, what they're not really doing is they're not looking in the mirror and taking that responsibility for their own existence. People who are hard on themselves, people who are hard on themselves are struggling at a very deep level with value. People who can't lose weight and who, who try all the diets and everything else, you know, is it possible that the weight is more emotionally related than it is to do with, you know, physicality and, and biology and nutrition for that matter? 
Um, so there's just a few. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Yeah, I think that's great. You touched on some some pretty incredible points there, and you know I think where some of our similarities reside is you know we in our events and with man talks, what we really try and do is create this space for men to be authentic and to be real, to be vulnerable and be open. And it sounds like you know you do something very similar for people. So would you be able to give us some insight into the work that you do? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a big question. My wife, uh, you know, for years we've struggled to kind of like you know really put a name or a label or or you know on the work that I do. And, and my wife ends up putting her hand up and literally going on retreats as a client. Um, and one of my clients said to her, "Now that you now that you've experienced like you've dived into the work, you must know how to explain." She goes, "I am." Um, she says, "I'm more confused than ever." Right. Not in terms of what Philip like you know does, but how to describe it right. because I think it's so personal to every individual. Mm-hmm. Um, because we're all at different places. For, so for me to create a 10 step system to success mm. is so easy. But it's me projecting what I believe people should do in order to be successful, which leads into people then saying yes and doing that. And then finding two to three years from now, they're actually living an unauthentic life. So people often say then to me that, uh, oh, you're great at calling bullshit. And I go, no, no, I'm not actually great at calling bullshit because a monkey could sit there and hit a button that says bullshit, bullshit, bullshit yeah. every time somebody speaks. But what I'm really good at and what I'm really passionate about and what I am boring obsessive about is people's truth. Mm. I'm after their truth. And extracting somebody's truth is a completely different animal than simply sitting there and calling bullshit. So what I do is I create environments in which I believe people are, you know, have the opportunity to really take a step in and, and face their own current reality, which is often very frightening for people. But the reward on the other side is extraordinary. And how I simply break it down is I look at three elements of a human being's life, the work or the business that they are in, the relation, these are relationships in essence, the relationship to themselves and the relationships to other people. And to really just assess those and to present a different conversation that challenges, often challenges the status quo, not for the sake of challenging it, but it just tends to often be that my clients say that my the way I ch- ask them to challenge their own beliefs um, in order to know that they in other words if somebody has a belief in a religious context or a business context or around money my encouragement is to ask them to let go of that belief so they can disconnect with it completely mm-hmm. in order to know that it's actually part of them as opposed to just going on accepting every day that what they believe has to be true mm-hmm. because often it's not yeah incredible yeah, I think, I think that's that's pretty powerful. And I mean, you know, one of the things that we really try to do is create a space for people to speak that truth. And it sounds like with some of the things that you do, you not only extract that truth, but then you also guide them on the experience to, to finding that truth. And, I, you know, from my own experience in, in the past, finding that voice has been one of my biggest challenges, not not only as a, as a man, but but just as a, as a person, as a human being. And it, it can be scary. Yeah. Well, yeah. Digging, digging deep within yourself and trying to figure out who you are. Not a lot of times, not a lot of times we want to know who we actually are. It's, yeah. it's frightening. Yeah, it's yeah. true. And it, you know, it, it seems like there's a lot of people that are very focused externally and not so much wanting to dive into that internal work to find out, you know, they, they know that they're not fulfilled on some level. They know that they're not happy with the work on some level or with themselves or with, you know, their partner or their relationship but they're not necessarily looking in necessarily the right place. And that sounds like you kind of help shift and guide them into that direction. Yeah, but they've got to be willing to lean into the conversation. Mm -hmm, Um, And and often I have people who will literally fly across the country, fly across the world to sit in a retreat or a mentoring or a coaching uh, environment to who don't want to find the clarity they're saying they're seeking. So let me just kind of give you some context for what I said is that they'll often turn up. And recently I've become a, a little bit, I wouldn't say ruthless, but a bit more clear in terms of just speaking that, you know, that evolution of truth and saying to them, listen, I don't think you want to change. Mm. Of course, they react angry and frustrated. <laughs> and, right. and they say, well, this is ridiculous. It's preposterous because I'm sitting here. I've flown in. I've landed. I've paid the money to be here. And you're telling me I don't want to change. And I said, no, you want to be, you want it intellectually, but you don't want to face, you don't want that shift to happen. Um, internally um, and that's an interesting conversation when someone you know you, you hit that hit somebody with that but one of the biggest underlying issues in the world today is, is just identity mm-hmm. or a lack of identity like who 
are we at the core? Mm. Um, and there was a time where that conversation was fluffy. There was a conversation, and to be fair, one thing I'm very proud of is that along the journey, arriving in, in North America with, with, with nothing, like starting from scratch, no friends, no family, like extended family, no business opportunities, like starting from nothing, is there was many times along the way that we had the opportunity to change the messaging, change the offering, to gear up the business, to make promises to people that, you know, based on what they wanted. So come and work with me, make more money. Come with me and blow your business out of the water. Come with me and work for, you know, you can learn how to work, you know, 20 minutes a week, you know, making all the money you ever want. Mm -hmm. And there is those somewhat empty promises that people do buy into, but we've never deviated from what we absolutely believe at the core. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, no matter what comes in the future, I'm extremely proud of that. Yeah, I actually kind of want to touch on that because, you know, in in this industry, whether it's um, in, in the sort of like personal development industry, even you look at, you know, some of the big names out there and the podcasts and the programs and the, and the weekends and the retreats and the events and all that kind of stuff. And, and a lot of them do, I call it, it, it the internet marketing term is clickbait, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's all clickbait. Yeah. So they get people to click on the link or they get people to purchase a ticket by giving them this sort of like, this is what you want. You want more money or mm-hmm. you want more free time or you want these things. And then once they've got them in the door, then maybe or maybe not, they'll give them the things that they actually need in order to find a little bit more fulfillment or a little bit more happy or be able to make a little bit more money. And I think one of the things that you said is really important there is staying authentic to your, staying true to your own personal message. And, you know, I think that that's something that we've really tried to do a lot as well with Mantox is really stay true to that core message. I mean, having the conversation about men and being open and vulnerable, generally people run for the hills, right? Like they don't, they're like, oh yeah, okay, I don't know. I don't want to have that conversation, right? Like most guys are kind of closed off from that conversation. Not all of them, that's generalizing, but some of them are, are a little closed off. Mm-hmm. And the challenge is not to go towards, hey, we're going to get you laid. Hey, we're going to make you more money. Like, right. We're going to help you figure that out. So how, like, how, how have you done that? Because in an industry where it's very prominent, it's kind of saturated with that. Yeah, bright, shiny objects. Bright, shiny objects. Is it just, is authenticity and staying true to who you really are and what you really want to teach, is that the differentiating factor? Uh, yeah, and I think how we do it is important as well. I, mean, mm. I think, to be fair, at the end of the day, if somebody comes to your door and they're drawn to your, whether it's authenticity, I mean, I'm not probably the best person to define whether I'm authentic or not. I think I'd leave that up to others to, to describe. But when they come to the door, then you still have to have the ability to really bring them on a journey that, that makes an impact because ultimately, word of mouth. I mean, I don't advertise, um, you know, I'm present on, on online, but not to an aggressive stage. Right. So you've got to be able to deliver at the end of the day. But, you know, really what I'm after is, is meaning over money. And it's interesting when you, when, you, when you pursue meaning in each of the areas of your life and you start to become more aligned, you feel wealthier as an individual. Mm-hmm. But here's the ironic thing is that it's the old cliche, do what you love and money will follow. And I think people hear that, they don't believe it. But there's truth in it. Um, there's a tremendous amount of truth in it. I mean, you know, our financial situation has you know, massively increased over the last year and a half, two years. And, you know, we're not necessarily pocketing all that. We're doing other things with it, et cetera, et cetera. But I absolutely, to the core, love what I do. I mean, I would, I said it recently and somebody was reacted angrily to this. I would rather die than give up what I do. It took me so long wow. to, I'd say, I wouldn't say find it, but to allow it into my life. And allowing versus finding are two different things. Allowing it into my life that it might sound extreme, but I would literally rather curl over and die than give this up. Hmm. because I, I, I was dead for years anyway, and I'm not going back there. Um, and I've seen, I've been very fortunate to be on a journey with clients who are starting to turn elements or, you know, and again, it's not a quick fix. It's a, it, If people are looking for a quick fix, they, they, they don't come to me. But if they're willing to put the work in, have some difficult conversations to start aligning or realigning their lives, um, the rewards are amazing. And the, and the joy I get is not from somebody who's made an extra million dollars or $100,000 or $10,000. The joy I get is somebody who go, I can't believe it, McCarran. I fucking love what I do. Right. Or I'm having a conversation with my kids or my wife and my girlfriend that I never could have believed was possible. Or you know, in a recent event, I can't believe my story matters or has impacted somebody else's life. Right. I mean, there is no greater joy in the world than, than seeing that in people's faces. I, I just, that to me is worth more than any money. 
Yeah, awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And I just wanted to touch on, on one thing that you said there. You mentioned meaning over money. When I think about men, it's sort of like some of the struggles that as a, as a gender we tend to fall into. And I don't mean to stereotype, but we generally seek money over meaning. And that's kind of what gets us hooked up, uh, is that we're, we're seeking this like financial gain versus a meaning first and having the money follow. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you find that with, with men specifically that they kind of like seek after this sort of like fame or fortune and, and fall into that trap? Yeah. I mean, I think maybe it's, maybe it was at one point, you know, thousands of years ago, we went out the door, gathered meat and brought it back and right. landed on the kitchen table um, or in the cave and said, right, there you go, I provide it. And maybe we just haven't let go of that absolute meat. Now, now it's a BMW. Yeah. It's a BMW <laughs> or it's just plain cash. Yeah. And it's, it's, but the amount of men that I see that are prepared to settle for mediocrity, and, and I'm not even sure if that actually, I'm not sure I like that word because it's kind of almost like it's a, it feels almost judgmental, but are, are willing to settle for just unhappiness and aspects of their lives mm -hmm. just so they can provide for their family, their wife, and their children. And this is not mutually exclusive to men, but it's much more prominent in men. Right. Uh, so the kids go to the right school. And I see, you know, for example, up in the oil sands in, in Northern Alberta, there's men up there, clients of mine that I've worked with, who basically see themselves as they don't want to be there, but they've created an environment at home where they need to be making X amount of dollars. Yeah. And ironically, when you look at the home situation, often, and it's not unusual to find in the world today, is it's 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 full of toys and it's full of like you know, you know four thousand square foot as opposed to like twelve hundred square foot. It's the second or third car. It's the, basically it's the trip to Hawaii. But here's the ironic thing, or not the ironic thing, the interesting thing is when you delve down into it, what you'll find is it's not driven by a desire to show their kids love and appreciation. It's driven by the fact that they don't want history to repeat itself. So, for example, if they grew up in poverty, hmm. they're going to be damn sure. Think about the energy that's, which I'm just shifting into gear. I'm going to, I'm ne my kids are never going to experience that. Mm -hmm. There's no way. Yeah. They're never going to go through that. And, and, and then it becomes all about them. It's about their, and by the way, security, this notion of security, right. financial freedom, it is driven. The, the, the people that want financial freedom and security the most are the most insecure people in the world. Mm -hmm. Security is driven by insecurity. I absolutely mm -hmm. believe that. I'm not saying we should denounce money and give it up. Don't. I, there's a capitalist part of Philip McKernan. Um, and I believe that we should make money and I think we should give back with it and we should have lifestyles, et cetera, et cetera. But I think if we can let go of the need for money. So, for example, there's people out there, there's people going to be listening to this, they think, well, yeah, you, you, it's easy for him to say because he's got money. Well, that's not necessarily the case. In recent years, yes, but I've been in situations where I never had money. And I often felt freer then in pockets of, of that time where I had no money than the times I did. You don't need money to buy freedom. Mm. Freedom comes from within. Mm. And I doubt I'm dealing with some of the wealthiest men and women in America. Like some of the wealthiest families that have had exposure to very, very, very successful people on paper. Mm. But they're not necessarily any happier than the person who doesn't have the money. And when do we hear that, or do we all, we don't often believe it? Yeah, it's, it's very true. Like, I, I think in some of the guys that we've seen come and speak at Mantox, it's been the, the same thing in terms of like this pursuit of. They, they almost like tie together the pursuit of happiness with the pursuit of wealth. Right. And they almost become intertwined. And, you know, tearing those two apart and, and distinguishing the two, I think, is very important to mm -hmm. say, you know, in, in pursuit of happiness, you might make some money. You may not, depending on what you are pursuing. Most likely you will if, if it's really aligned with what you're meant to do in the world. But they're not necessarily connected. Like they're not inextricably linked to one another. And pursuing money over happiness is never going to lead you in the right direction. I feel like any talk that I've ever heard from anybody, man or woman, that that foundation is there and yet we easily fall into that trap. So it's, it's a very interesting point. Just, uh, just we're going to switch switch uh, routes here a little bit. In doing some research, uh, you know, about you and your company before before we came here today, I saw a quote from you that said, "You're better off in life with no goals than chasing ones that belong to someone else." What does that mean to you? Yeah, because I'm the anti-goal guy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> he's the guy that doesn't like goals. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't like goals. 
and when they come at the cost of people's peace of mind. Right. I don't like goals when it comes to the cost of people's health. I don't like goals when it comes to the cost of misalignment as a human being. Um, I don't like goals when it takes people on a path that just doesn't necessarily serve them in the long term. Um, so I think goal setting has been absolutely a given as a necessary tool for success. Um, here's the reality is I was actually very good at setting goals and attaining them. Um, and that was part of my problem. So I was attaining goals and yet I didn't feel... So if somebody's listening, forget about somebody listening, the three of us. Right. If you're a goal setter and you're achieving goals, but there's this sense from you deep down that, ah, oh, you know, still something's missing. Something's just not jiving, okay? Something's just not there. One of us just put our hand up at one point. <laughs> uh, no, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. You're honest. No, um, absolutely. I really appreciate that. Uh, and including myself, there's an issue there because what we tend to do, and I've yet to meet a human being that has a set of goals that fully belong to them, mm. fully. Mm. So for example, a business owner might come to me and say, listen, I want to do some work with you. I want you to help me to get to the next level. I love this next level thing, by the way. It's always intriguing. And it tends to be beautifully rounded in numbers, a million dollars, $10 million, $100,000, $10,000. There's never $10,652.92. Press, press the, next, the next level button. Exactly. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'll say, great. So before we bring your business to the next level, why do you do what you do? Hmm. What do you mean? Well, why do you do what you do? Does it actually serve you at the core? Is this something that you want to do? Is this something you want to do for the next 20 years? So we can start to assess how the business is serving them so we can realign the business or perhaps make some significant changes within the business or maybe shift from that business. But I find that people are adapting goals from uh, society. They're adapting goals from the, from, from people around them. They're, the, 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 the expectations they, they've, they've taken on themselves. And also I believe at the core that we're obsessed. I don't use that word lightly, so I'll repeat it again. Obsessed by what other people think of us. So if we, even if for a moment, now there'll be somebody on the phone, absolutely guaranteed, driving down the road to a brand new BMW, who just goes, bullshit, I don't give a shit what people think. Right. Okay, yeah. so if, you're, if they've reacted like that, um, you know, there's a strong likelihood that they care deeply <laughs> what people think. In the same way that if someone says to me, well, I can tell you one thing, I'm not, I'm not like my mother. Yeah. Guaranteed I'm not like my mother. Well, there's most likely they're more like their mother than they've ever right. imagined. So if we, if we're, if we, just even for a moment, open to the conversation. Just open to the conversation that perhaps we are obsessed with what people think. You then multiply that by 10, at least when it comes to the people that are closest to you. Mm -hmm. Parents, even, even, I'll give you an example of this. I asked a group recently, I said, who are you seeking validation from today? I didn't say, are you? I said, who? And a woman reacted very angrily initially towards me, as sometimes people do, but then she realized it was actually more of an internal emotional reaction. And what astonished her was the person's name that came up, and it was her father. Now, that wouldn't be unusual, but the fact that he walked out when she was not even two years old, and she has never seen him in her life from that day, and yet that was the name that came up. And it rattled her because it didn't make sense but then I got her to slow down and I said, what is the thing you want to be able to say or do to your father if he ever found you and decided he wanted to connect with you and he walked in that door? What would be the one thing? You, and she basically said, in, in, and I'm paraphrasing slightly, I'd love to be able to look him in the eyes and say, I didn't fucking need you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, is that is that something that people listening would go, okay, well, that kind of makes sense and whatever. Yeah, fine. Okay, now what's the cost of that? The cost of that is that she does things primarily driven by something that's so deep down inside her that she wasn't aware of until the question, and that's driving her, her need to succeed, her definition of success, and so on, and yet she turned around and she goes, shit, most of the things I do are in advancement, like to advance being in a situation where I can tell my father that. But what she's, what, what's, what she's doing there is she's She's almost running from something as opposed to to something. So can she switch around and go, okay, great. Let go of the need to be in that position and therefore look at the life and say, okay, authentically, forget about when my father comes along or not. What do I want as a person? As opposed to being driven from a, a negative energy standpoint, mm. if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely was caught up in that trap, like the, the goal-oriented, fame and fortune money. And, you know, what you said earlier really resonated with me was, you know, every time that I got to the top of that mountain, I still felt like I hadn't achieved what I was meant to achieve. Yeah. And it's so interesting because it, having moved away from that a little bit, and not to say that I'm completely detached from it or I'm free of like wanting to pursue goals and accomplish things because I'm a very accomplished based person. That's that motivates me. Like I kind of get inspired by that. Um, I still see so many people giving power to the goals that they set. And I think that's where I see a lot of men, especially get sort of like fixated on these things. And you, you use that word, we become obsessed. Yeah. with needing to accomplish these things. And we sacrifice our health, sacrificing time with loved ones, relationships, like all of that goes by the wayside to just accomplish some goal that they have given everything to. Yeah, And it's so detrimental because if they can't achieve it or if they don't achieve it, all of a sudden it's like this identity crusher. Yeah. crusher. They don't know who they are anymore. And they're not able to, I mean, they, they are able to recover eventually, but it, it becomes this sort of like backpack of guilt. Right. And, I, and I think I see a lot of men carrying around this like shame from either not accomplishing, you know, this big, this BHAG, this big hairy goal that they have and just aren't able to let it go because they gave so much of themselves and their identity to this to this goal. Yeah, and I, and I, and I believe that desire, so I my, my two hands open, having desire in my right hand mm. is great, but having the wisdom to let it go and not needing it to validate who we are. If somebody needs to achieve a goal badly, guaranteed it's the wrong goal. Mm -hmm. um, or guaranteed that it's an indicator of something that runs much deeper, and that is a lack of value within their own skin. In the same way, I often see it that, and this is not a, you know, we would have typically, and I say this with respect, as sexist as it might sound, this would have been a conversation that men would have thought that related more to women, but actually that's not the case, Correct. is that often there's men walking this earth that believe they need to be in a relationship in order to be happy. Mm -hmm. So think about what I just said. Think about what that means. So that basically means there's a degree of the word that we're more familiar with is, is uh, you know, in terms of not just desire, but almost like, like a, a bit of power. Like you know, what's that? Uh, yeah, yeah bit, kind of, it's almost like it has to happen, urgency. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what I'm saying is that if you take the time to work on the relationship with yourself, Yes, you can have a relationship with yourself. I know you guys aren't looking at me funny, but I'm assuming there might be some of the listeners right. today. If you can look at that relationship and you can really work on some of the core fundamentals that 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 really don't serve you, um, you then don't need somebody to make you happy. You're almost self-sufficient. But here's the beautiful thing about this, if this makes any sense, then if we bring somebody into our life that's wonderful. But then we don't put so much expectation on that relationship in order to make us happy and complete. So if we're, let's just for example say I have a decent relationship with myself. So my confidence, my self-esteem is good and whatever. And I have a wonderful relationship with my girlfriend or wife, but I hate the work I do. What I believe happens is we take the fulfillment that we yearn from that work and we lump it in in the form of expectations onto our partner and onto ourselves. And of course, they never, ever match up to those expectations. But we're not willing to look in the mirror and say, can I make a shift from the work that doesn't serve me? And if you do, can you imagine how that will enhance the relationship right. with your partner and yourself? Mm. Extraordinary. So alignment and deriving meaning from the work that we do, the businesses that we run, relationship with self and relationship with others is to me the only thing worth pursuing in this world. And the byproduct is the, is the wrong thing that we're chasing today. The byproduct is what we call happiness mm. on a much more consistent basis. Yeah. You just mentioned the relationship with yourself. It's such a key concept. And, and I know Connor and I do a lot of work on that. I, you know, you definitely do, but there are a lot of men out there that don't necessarily believe in relationship with themselves or don't even know what that means. What what do you think that means and why do you think that's important for them? Yeah, just and, and also why do you think a lot of men, you know, are reluctant to even talk about that? I would say you say good luck to them. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So let us know how that goes in a few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> just say good luck and then move on to the you know to the more important question. That's a right. fluffy and question. You know, relationship yourself. Do you think it's that fluffy element that you think is is scaring most men away? Is it is it the manliness? I can't have a relationship with myself. I'm a pussy if I do that, or you know. Yeah, I think there's some of that. I think that that's absolutely right. And if there was historically a fluffy nature, but I think ultimately, I think it's, it's getting a lot more. Uh, so, for example, I spoke at a conference recently, and uh, at the end, I opened it up uh, to the mic. And one lady came to me afterwards, she says, I'm absolutely astounded at what I witnessed. And it wasn't to do with me and whatever. Hmm. Um, I suppose to some extent, anyway, I created the environment. She says, I was astounded to see the men who put their hand up and shared. Hmm. Um, and five, I think five, not six men, not just put their hand up and shared, but opened up and shared, you know, deeply in the room. Right. Men are dying inside for vulnerability. They're dying for meaningful conversations. Yeah. They're yeah. dying to yeah. let out the fucking ghosts and the, 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 the shit from the past that they may or may not be judging. Because you know what? There's nothing more exhausting in this world. You know, we live in, I'm in West Vancouver here right now. Behind us is, is the thing called the Grouse Grind. Which is basically uh, like a stairmaster or, uh, <laughs> or a stairway to hell. There is nothing yeah. more exhausting in this world yeah. than pretending to be somebody you're not. Right. And I could do the grouse grind a million times hmm. up and down, and nothing would be more. It's just not evident on the surface, but you're, it's, it's ongoing behind the scenes. And one other thing I'll say about that is people used to say to me, I'm like, oh, McCurney, you, you scare me because you've got the ability to look into my soul and, and call me out to really see what's going on. And I used to buy that, and I say, well, that's not great from a marketing standpoint, but <laughs> it is what it is. But now I realize more and more, it's, they're not scared of me. They're scared of themselves. Mm. They're scared of their truth. They're scared of what they're capable of in a good way, and they're scared of what they're capable of in a negative way. And if there's somebody listening right now that thinks to themselves, fuck, I am I am afraid of myself, what's what's the first thing they can, what, what do they do? What's the they, first they, thing they, they can do? They just did it. They did it, yeah. <laughs> they just did it. Yeah. They just did it. We, we, we have this unfortunate obsession with, great, got that, now how do I do it? Hmm. And the minute we go to the doing, not to say that there's not some practical things we can do, but the minute we go to the doing, what we've done is we've just discovered, let's just be silly here for a moment, just discovered a pile of shit, now we want to get rid of it. How do I get rid of that? How do I break through that and yeah. you know get rid of that fear? And whatever? Like fast food self help. My, my, so for example, I was talking to a guy contacted me the other day from New York. He's got a very successful business. His son is having some challenges. He talks to me, and I said to him, I brought the conversation back to him as a father and how he is with his son and the expectations and the pressure. And he goes, "Listen, this is the way I deal with things, Philip. If an anorexic person sitting in front of me, I just say, eat." And that's how I deal with it. I said, well, that's beautifully compassionate for one. And, and really, you know, how does your son feel around that type of conversation? Um, and what I would say is, well, I, how my I approach is, okay, you're anorexic, you don't eat whatever happens to be. Why? Hmm. Why? Why? So if somebody feels that they don't have good self-value, they're always hard themselves, beating themselves up, we understand why. And the more aware we are of the why, the origin, the more it starts to loosen its grip and it loosens its control, and we start to own it, and it becomes familiar, it becomes a part of who we are. Sometimes we need to do something with it. Sometimes awareness is enough. Sometimes. Sometimes awareness is enough. Yeah, it's a, it's a really valid point. And I think, you know, to, to sort of tie that back into something that you said previously, and, you know, first off, I think that there are spaces being created out there for men to have that voice. Like the event that you've put on one last talk was, was incredible for that. And, you know, having been one of the speakers at that event, it was very profound to really share my voice in that way. And, and I know that the rest of the speakers felt the same way. And, you know, at, at the events that we put on with Man Talks, it's the exact same thing where speakers get the opportunity to share their voice and to share that truth. And, and it can be extremely liberating. I walked out of your event just feeling this almost euphoric sense of freedom, right? right? And, and you I took I, off the backpack. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you, I got to take off that, that guilt backpack a little bit. And, and I've, I've had a lot of speakers at our events say the same thing. And a lot of people that have attended the events say, say the exact same thing. And, you know, I think a lot of it comes back to a deep sense of wanting validation. You talked about validation before. And, you, you know, I think that a lot of a lot of men almost do some of these things, seek these goals for that sense of like, I will be validated. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that I think that comment that you made about, you know, thousands of years ago, we brought a piece of meat home on the table. Right. And we got validation. Yeah. And then... 
bam, all of a sudden that was sort of like neuralinked with, with something, uh, you know, happy, happiness and dopamine release. And it was like, okay, great. I have a function. I have some resemblance of meaning in this life. And then all of a sudden I'm, that yeah, was I'm put on this earth to provide. Yeah. That. Yeah. And, it, and it's interesting. I, I think that providing is, is still a great thing. It can be an amazing thing to provide for your friends, for your family, for your loved ones. There's, there's nothing wrong with that and nor should there be, but going after it when it's ingenuous to who you are and, and what you actually want to accomplish in life, that's where things start to go awry. Yeah, I think, I think one of the biggest challenges that I face as people is, the, is, is, is unaware of their, of their current reality, their existence. And they'll rationalize and justify that their current existence is, it serves them. So for example, let's just build on what you just shared. Um, yeah, okay, I don't really love being a computer engineer, whatever their, their, their gig is. Uh, not to say that computer engineers can't be happy, but um, I'm a computer engineer and I don't really love it, but you know, I'm providing for my kids. And the joy I get from watching my kids go to private school and, and have all the, the opportunities that I didn't have is, is amazing. Mm. But what they're missing is that that's them telling themselves that what they're doing is right. But what do their kids get to experience? Their kids get to, oh, no, no, my kids don't see me crying in the corner when I realize once every six months that really I'm faking it and everything else. They don't see that. They're in an environment in which their father is flat, in which their father is subdued, which their father is not ultimately alive. And to me, I, I have a very clear statement around my children. Okay, you just met one of my little kids yeah. in there. Cute. And uh, you're only saying that. If she was ugly, you won't just say No, that. she's cute. <laughs> she is adorable. No, she is adorable. Okay, that's the, I agree with you guys. Okay. <laughs> okay, I agree 100%. We agree on one thing. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 you know, I, I believe that we give so much of ourselves away, you know, in our parenting. We give so much away to our children. And what I believe is that I would take a bullet for my kids. But I've said this recently, and I'll say it again. I would die for my children, but I will not live my life for them. Because... Mm. If, if my legacy is the, the inheritance, the money that I leave, the house that I leave, the, the, the college fund, um, and that's the depth of my, you know, my, my legacy. My kids will be standing over my grave saying, yeah, okay, he left us a million dollars in cash. He left us a couple of nice cars, a few properties, and he put us through college. No, he was never the most passionate guy. Right. He was always a little bit, he settled a bit. He did a job that I know my heart and soul he didn't like. He stayed in a relationship that didn't serve him, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Where I want my kids to be brought up in an environment where you move towards what you feel, that you trust your intuition, you take huge fucking risks in life, you do things that don't make sense, but they feel right often. And you constantly move. And I think what happens is that you create an inspiring environment that will, I believe, leave them so much more empowered than any education in the world can offer right now. So that's how I'm viewing it. And maybe I'm justifying and rationalizing so I can justify my decisions, but so far, so good. Mm -hmm. I feel like I feel like we could... <laughs> Talk, talk about these, these things endlessly. Um, there's yeah. one thing that I do want to touch on really quickly, which is that sense of intuition. And it's interesting because when you say that around some men, they kind of look at you like, and I, I use that word all the time because I, I think that intuition and gut, and this is something that, that I believed for a long time and, and had kind of let, I, I let it guide my life. Like my gut and my intuition for my passion really has led my life. And it's led me to some incredible, incredible places. But I never really owned it. And I think you have been a great example of that because you have owned it. And you have said like intuition is okay. And like this is something that guides my life. And I, I think reconnecting to that that sense of intuition is such an important aspect because it's almost like, for a while, their intuition was a, like a feminine quality. Mm. You know, it was like it wasn't okay for guys yeah. to even like use that. Women's word. intuition, like, yeah, women's intuition. It became very much aligned with with the feminine, and yet at the same time, we just use different words for it. We just say, "Oh, I go with my gut. Yeah. My gut's telling me this. My gut's telling me that." Or, the, just, or the little voice in my head. Yeah, the little yeah, voice, yeah. the little voice inside. The little Connery. <laughs> but really, what it boils down to is is that sense of intuition of of you knowing what is right. And I would just love you to, to speak about that. Like how, how has intuition maybe guided your, your journey, your life? And how did you cultivate that? Like, I think for the guys out there that kind of have that little voice inside of them saying, I want something more, or I want to connect to myself. I want to build that relationship. I don't know how, how did you let that voice develop into the sort of loudspeaker that it is now that it is today? I think we're all born naturally with intuition. It's a gift. I, I actually believe it's a gift. It's in all of us. 
I often say I don't trust my brain. I think mindset has been given a disproportionate amount of stage time. And mindset is completely overrated, in my personal opinion. You know, if, if it wasn't, we'd be so much happier and successful because there's been so many books and so many talks and so many stuff about mindset. Mm. Um, to me, my, the mind or my, my, my brain is simply a computer that I grab when I need it. Um, I like to live my life as much as I can from a place of intuition. I don't think it can be forced. But what I do believe is intuition is a naturally inherent thing that we have. I don't think it's a small voice. I think it's a huge voice. We, we suppress it to a murmur. We suppress it to a whisper. And then we basically, in some occasions, we basically extinguish it. Not because it's gone, but we basically it. And really what you're saying is, if you think about it, you're saying is, I don't trust that voice. I don't trust that voice from within. I don't trust myself. And it comes back to that journey of self. Like, do we, do we trust ourselves? If you ask that question to the men and women, both listening yeah, to this right yeah, now. Yeah, absolutely. Can you honestly say, because people say, no, but trust is only to do with my boyfriend and my girlfriend. Mm. Trust is to do with the business here. And when you trust yourself, can you trust yourself? That's one thing. The second thing is in no particular order, because again, we, we, these aren't prepared necessarily, but so, so bear with me. But the other thing that comes up is what I call inhibitors. Mm. And these are inhibitors that hold us back and block us from tapping into that, that natural intuition. Um, and we live and we live in our heads so much. So many of us are so intellectually driven. We're so in our heads. We're so up, up here. And when we're walking around, like literally I said jokingly, but I actually kind of, everyone laughed and didn't realize I was being serious, um, which is a problem when you have a bad sense of humor like me. But <laughs> I said sometimes I, I think we didn't need bodies. Mm-hmm. In modern day society, all we need is a head and two tiny legs. So we would have to carry our chests and, and, and our guts and everything else around um, because we don't really often use it outside of you know playing rugby or whatever it happens to be. But we live in our heads so much, but people think that's a reason why we're not intuitive. I'm after why do we live in our heads. Our heads are a place to escape to. It's a place that we don't have to feel, okay? So we don't have to feel when we're in our heads. And when we start to feel, we get busy again. We start doing shit because we don't want to feel. And men, particularly, are afraid of feeling. Mm. And therefore, they're afraid of emotion. And therefore, they're afraid of of what their emotion, which is that voice, whatever you want to call that God, that intuition, Mm. is telling them. And I believe that my intuition is not, it hasn't been wrong, will never be wrong. And ironically, the path has never been wrong. The only problem is that with intuition is when I haven't listened to it, when I haven't trusted it, I've gone against it. And every single time, <laughs> it's slapped me in the face. Okay. Um, and it's not about going out and hugging trees and living from a place of, you know, butterflies and doves, but it's about stopping. And there's not a man and woman, if you just lean over and check your pulse, as long as you're a man and woman, you've got a pulse. There's not one person listening to this that hasn't experienced a situation where they trust their gut and did something... Like a moment of madness, that's right. how we describe it. But did it and it worked out. Took a moment, moments of madness are moments of what I call genius, moments of inspiration, moments of brilliance. And then the other thing is a time where you ignored your gut and you got screwed in the bedroom or in the boardroom. Well, if you got screwed in the bedroom. Screwed in a bad way. Yeah, yeah. Okay? Yeah. I didn't trust my intuition. I did it anyway, and it backfired. Right. So intuition is mindset is overrated on one side, and intuition is completely underrated as yeah. it's not even a concept, it's a way of living. And it's available to every one of us. And that's the beautiful thing about it. And I think that you know, for me, intuition is, is fundamentally tied to that sense of your truth, your inner voice. And I, you know, I really, I really like the, the idea of being able to, to cultivate it. But at the same time, I really like what you said in terms of that when you ignore it, you're really ignoring yourself and that you're really, you know, that, that key takeaway of like, when you ignore your gut, you're really telling yourself, I don't, I don't trust, I don't trust me. And I think that that's the, that's the biggest thing because when you, when you do ignore it, like, you know, you know, what's coming. Like anytime that I've, I've had that experience in my life where it's like, uh, I can feel, I can feel in my gut that this is not the right choice to make. Mm-hmm. It inevitably leads me to the worst fucking place yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, that yeah. you just don't want to be. Yeah. And you come out the other side and like, shit, I knew it. Right. And you, you do because you just fundamentally yeah. know it. Yeah. And you come out the other side thinking, oh, I should have listened to myself. I should have trusted myself. Yeah. Right. So I, I love, I love that. I love the idea of tuning in and listening to your gut, listening to your intuition. So the, the one big thing I would strongly suggest anybody who's interested in intuition is that they look at the things that are blocking it. Hmm. And they tend to be, and they tend to require that deeper personal reflection, that deeper personal work, that deeper 
you know, conversation and it's tied to your past. And, you know, people don't see value in looking back in life. I believe that, you know, your past has created your present and your present is creating your future. So if you're, if you're, if your past has created your present, which is your current reality and it's creating your future based on every decision you make today and every decision you don't make today. Basically, the origin of your behavior and your patterns isn't in the future. It's actually in your past. Yeah. So if you go back into your past, not to linger and hang around for the next 20 years, but almost like bungee jump back into your past and look at your past in a way you haven't looked at it before and look at the painful pieces that you don't want to look at and see how they formed who you are today. It gives you awareness and understanding at a level that there is no manual out there for decision making that can serve you moving forward in the future. It's an extraordinary journey. And that's, that's probably what I do, but there's other people out there that do that. I definitely wouldn't do it on your own. It's right. always seek guidance yeah. when you're doing something like that. And um, it's very, very powerful. Would you, uh, wait a minute, one of the questions we want to ask you was, was around mentorship. Would you have a mentor to help you kind of find, find some of those answers to, to dig deeper? Uh, or are you thinking somebody, more skilled than you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I personally don't have any qualification whatsoever. So I wouldn't say I don't believe in, in academic qualifications. I'm not saying they have no value at all, but I certainly don't believe in them. I would give my kids, um, I would, I would encourage my wife, and I'd go myself to somebody who's unqualified who has a, a deep desire and a connectedness around something, mm-hmm. as opposed to a, a few letters after the name. Right. With respect to the letters, but psychologists and, and very highly qualified academically people come to me. Now, this is their words, not mine. Mm-hmm. They're saying you're probably as good as what you, you're so good at what you do, partly because you don't have an academic background, because you're not looking at it through a book of academia. Right. It's purely uh, based on life skills and intuition. Um, but I, I wouldn't worry about, you know, who that person is. I just trust that when you're open to it, the right person shows up. But that old saying that, you know, the student's ready, the teacher shows up. And I think there's some truth in that. I, I really do. Mm-hmm. I think there's some truth in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, would, I would agree 100%. I think... In terms of like finding a mentor, any time that I found a mentor in my life, it was really almost by accident. Or any time that um, men have kind of like come into my life where I've played a mentorship role in, in, in their experience, it's almost just been like serendipitous, yeah. right? Where they were just at the right place, the right time, and it was like... You like you're the you're the person, and they just automatically know. Yeah, and I think you have mentorship, and I've never shared this before, and probably because I've never even stopped to contemplate this. But I think we put too much emphasis on seeking a mentor or a guide that actually has done what we want to do. Hmm. So, and, and, and again, if I, if I stray off here, just coming back because I haven't talked about this, but. You know, I want to make $100 million, and I'm going to find somebody who made $100 million. I want to become fit, so I'll find somebody who's fit. I'm not sure that correlates, because what you might find is you're you're only pursuing what you think, mm-hmm. and that's primarily driven by intellect, What the outcome you want. Where if you just find somebody in your life that for whatever reason, you're just drawn to them, mm-hmm. just trust that that person has more wisdom and guidance in your life as opposed to the specific outcome that you want to pursue, if that makes any sense. And actually, ironically, I can I can I can almost back this up with a little bit of actual logic as well. Surprise surprise for me. <laughs> but um, you might actually say something that makes sense. But you think about it, all the great golfers, and you're using golf an example, which is definitely You're in my wheelhouse, Phil. Is definitely a <laughs> Where's the hockey talk here? Yeah. Come on. I thought yeah. you said hockey. Yeah, so golf is definitely one of the most technical and mental games in the world. I believe it's probably the most difficult sport on the planet. But there is not one of those golfers that is coached on a, on a technical capacity by somebody who's won majors. Mm-hmm. Because Jack Nicklaus doesn't coach, you know, Arnold Palmer doesn't coach, oh, that's true. you know, Gary Player doesn't coach, Tiger Woods won't coach. Or just like hockey, very, very, very rarely do you see Stanley Cup winning coaches. I mean, they just have that. Yeah, a lot of, and actually in, in that vein, a lot of the, I mean, the Oilers are a perfect example of that. Where, <laughs> where they, they really tried to have the older generation that were so successful at mm-hmm. it recreate that and it's just been an utter yep. failure. Yep. So basically you, I thought you were going to interview me, but actually you're just using this as an opportunity to talk about sports. Talk, yeah. Hey, I still I'm still a fan. I Man talk sports. Yeah. <laughs> Supper brand. That's, it's very true. Yeah. It's very like to your point, the people that are almost like world in class hardly ever do mentor. Mm. 
Interesting. Have you, have you ever had mentors in your life? Yeah, I, I wouldn't, uh, in a less official capacity, right. the more they've kind of come into my life. You know, for example, I dated a girl many years ago, um, you know, for five years, and her father was a, a, a psychiatrist. It was a, an extraordinary human being. His name was Professor Anthony Clare. Um, he was uh, ostracized, not ostracized, but he was certainly, you know, given you know, kind of a hardish time by the industry because they, they felt that he didn't take psychiatry, you know, as seriously as, as, and, and, and practice in the way that, mm-hmm. you know, should have practiced. But he, basically what he's doing is he didn't believe in prescribing drugs straight away. He didn't believe that psychiatry was only for the people who were very sick. He didn't right. believe that psychiatry uh, was only for people who could afford it. Um, and he demystified psychiatry through doing uh, various books, but also doing a, a talk show called In the Psychiatrist Chair, where he interviewed many famous people. And uh, now they're, they're, they're saying that he's one of the greatest, gen- the greatest psychiatrists of a generation in Europe. At the time, they kind of ostracized him a little bit. He was the guy who went on talk shows, and he was, he was I mean, he's a, I suppose, a modern-day celebrity right. in his own right. But, but I think what he showed me, we never talked about his clients and his work as such, but in a roundabout way, just by being around him, I think he inspired me in ways that I can't even fathom. Um, he, he definitely unlocked an obsession that I have. Obsession sounds like I'm a stalker, but <laughs> a real deep desire I have for human human behavior and human, just just how we, how we work. The other thing, actually, this is completely nothing to any question you've asked, but actually just came to me is that my truth is I'm just, I'm, I actually used to be pissed at this. I'm just sad. I'm just sad that people don't get that this is it, that this is the one life they have. And mm. This is completely nothing to do with any questions you yeah, ask. But, you know, if you're out there and you're, you're very religious and you're very spiritual by nature, I would encourage you to do two things, and that is have your spirituality, have your have your religion. But, you know, often people think that they're going to be reincarnated, they're going to come back as a slug or a spider or something, they're going to have another go-around. It's almost looking as if that you're never going to come back, and if you come back, it's a bonus. And what kind of urgency? Not that I want urgency in life, but sometimes we need a bit of urgency. And the other thing is that on, on that vein is that we're so quick to believe in, in, in Richard Branson, so quick to believe in you know, Steve Jobs. We're so quick to believe in all these other people and gods that we've never even seen, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not knocking religion, but, but we walk this earth. And this is one of the biggest, most prevalent things for men I see in the world is that we walk this earth and never fully believe in ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, to a level that's really, you know, where we trust ourselves and therefore all of that kind of like filters down through every aspect of our life. And, and I just think that's sad. Mm. It's just sad. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting. Like I, I, my, one of my next questions, one of the questions I actually really wanted to bring today was, you know, twofold. One, what do you find inspiring? The second, the second piece was, what's the best piece of advice that you would give the men and women listening today? And I, I almost feel like that was like, yeah, that was one of it. Just, just, just yeah. answered it. I'll, yeah. I'll open that up for you. You know, where, what, and where do you find your inspiration? Um, first and foremost. And then secondly, like what one piece of advice do you really want to leave people with? Okay, my, my answer to the, well, I think the, the, the piece of advice, I think, you know, I could give you other bits, but I think I'll leave you with the piece that I just said prior right. to that. But my answer to the first part of that question might come across as arrogant and self-serving and a bit weird, but um, I've actually got to a place in my life right now where I actually find myself getting inspired by some of the things that I do in my own life. Mm. Now, that's not, hey, look at me, I'm amazing. That's not, you know, looking in the mirror and go, you know, you're Jesus, you're, you're amazing. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about actually actually finding, it, not a lot, but, you know, very, every so often finding a place where I go, wow, and actually being inspired by the things that I have, have done or the things that I played a small part in and, um, so, for example, one of those was one last talk. I, I, I was just so proud of that. I was so inspired. And the other thing, and this probably comes first, is I find tremendous inspiration in, in the people that step in and work with me. There is no greater inspiration for me personally than the shifts and the changes that people make in terms of bringing more meaning into their lives and creating more and connection in their lives and being inspired by their own like that's what's happening the clients are now starting to become they're almost inspired by their own actions etc and then seeing them pass that on so um, I think that I've never I don't think I've ever said the first one but they're, they're kind of the couple that come to mind no, I think I think that's great I, I've I, in, the de- in the last year I've definitely experienced that and it was almost that sense of feeling inspired by not the accomplishments that you're achieving. And I think that that's one of the biggest shifts is 
is the, the difference that you're making. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that with, with man talks is it's men making a difference. Yeah. And f- for me, that's really, that really is it is when you are aligned with a sense of purpose, it really is you making a difference in the world. And what that looks like generally, and almost always 99.9% of the time is you contributing to other people's lives Correct. And, and taking a moment to, to almost sit in that and, and observe the difference that, that you can have in other people's lives. And it can be so subtle. It can be at work. It can be in your relationship with your, with your kids. The differences that you, that you do make, I think, to really cherish those and, and sit with them and almost like allow them to sink in. Um, and, and to your point, you only live one life. So yeah. Yeah, make, make as big of a dent as possible. Yeah. It's, <laughs> Take risks and run the risk of falling in your face and looking yeah. stupid. And I think you know the one thing that's become very strong for me in recent times and uh, really strong through the, the, the work, whether it's in a retreat location or on a stage, or, is that, guys, this, it's not about you. Mm. You know, we're making so much of this life that we've been given about us. Mm. Um, and of course, it is about us to a point. But stop making it about you. Um, start making it about other people. And that was the biggest shift. For example, it was at a conference recently. I was speaking, so it's often hard to be really present when you're speaking because you're there for on a different mission. You're there for a different reason. You're there to, to, to serve in a different way. But at one point, we were asked to stand up and share something that we're proud of in a personal level. And I turned around, there was this lady called Claudia who was standing right behind me. And we just got chatting, and she said, I asked her first, and she said, oh, moving to the United States, getting my green card, I was very, I was very proud of myself. And she turned to me, and I was through that, her sharing, that I opened up a little bit of my story that I'd forgotten. And I said, uh, you know, when I came to, to Canada, I'd forgotten how painful it was. And my wife only shared with me recently, and I conveniently forgot this uh, by accident on purpose, um, that we were down to $200 in our bank account. Um, and we were in a basement suite in Edmonton with snow outside and I'm not just talking about the money but like the phone was not ringing nothing was happening nobody was coming we were in a country miles away from Ireland we had each other absolutely but I never felt so alone in my own life and I remember the pain of that and she looked at me and she said what changed she looked at me and she said what changed this is only like a week and a half two weeks ago and I didn't have the answer and I just thought about it for a second and it just came to me and I said, I made it about other people. I just start making it about other people. On a very small level, I kept making it about other people. And that's what got me out of the hole. If you make it about other people in your life and you start contributing to other people in your life, there is not a thing that can happen to you. You could lose your leg and you will find a way to get up off the floor, to hobble to your car, to hobble to your phone, to hobble to the internet and continue to do what you do. It's not about you. And, and, and for me, I spent an hour and a half on the phone this morning, for example, trying to... Um, anyway, it, it's a situation in Peru. There's these girls that were you know, basically in a legal mining camp and they were sex slaves. And these boys, you know, boys and girls were sex slaves. And basically, they, they rescued them from the, from the mine. Um, and the Peruvian government now don't know what to do with them. So, but they don't know what to do, and they put them in prison. So these kids are now in prison for doing nothing wrong. Um, and we're, we're trying to build an orphanage. We're trying to figure this out. And it scares the shit out of me. I'm set on my league. I'm set on my depth in so many respects. But I don't give a fuck. I'm going to make this happen. Those kids are going to be out of that prison. I don't give a fuck. I've got to go down and bring them all back to Canada. So you see, you, you, and I'm not talking about going to Peru. And I'm not talking about going to Africa. It's about stop making this journey about you. And the minute you do that, everything in your life will start to have a degree of fluency and beauty and engagement and and it's, it's amazing and ironically when you do that you, you, you never feel more alive in your life I believe it you'll never feel more alive but so many men out there particularly yeah no 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 I'm going to do that Philip when I, when I become financially free I'm going to do that when I sell my business I'm going to do that when I'm going to do that when and what they don't realize is that there's an opportunity and a possibility to do it as we move through life even with one person, a fucking guinea pig. It doesn't matter. It's about giving back in some capacity. Yeah. So I'm sorry, I know I'm rambling. No, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, we, we do need to wrap it up. Yeah. But I just wanted to leave you 
leave the, the listeners really with um, two things. One, where can they find you? And two, what's one thing that you have sort of on the horizon that you're really excited about? That sounds like you mentioned Peru. Yes. And is there a way that the listeners could help in any way? Is it I don't know. I'm no, so sorry today. Okay. But, um, well, it's not. Maybe, I mean, maybe keep us up to date. Well, well, absolutely. Yeah. I appreciate that. And that wasn't my intent. Um, no, no, no. I mean, but I, I think, uh, well, my website is philipmckernan.com. Um, uh, my name is M-C-K-E-R-N-A-N, which is sometimes catches people.com. <laughs> and in terms of something that's on the horizon for me, um, yeah, I mean, number one is letting go. Um, I'm letting go of some things. I'm letting go of my, my number one kind of coaching program that's been around for a long time. Um, I think often people think when they want to improve their lives, they need to go and bring something in. I, if I have to encourage anyone listening, um, it's really to consider letting go. And it's very different to giving up. People think letting go and giving up are the same thing. They're not. Sometimes we need to let go and create space to what I call allow the magic in. Hmm. So to me, is I've got to a point where I realize that there's something going on in my life. There's not enough space. So I need to cut something. And I need to cut something from an intuitive place that makes no sense financially. It's the opposite. Like Financially, this is the most lucrative program we have. It's gone because I, I believe that I'm only starting um, to scratch the surface in what I'm Sorry, what I believe this work can do. I don't believe it's me. I believe it's kind of, you know, I'm just here as a catalyst. Um, so to me, the first step is letting go. And then I've got some exciting things I want. I want to look at it. I'm, I'm thinking of doing a documentary later oh, wow. this year. Um, uh, another Very book cool. on the horizon and uh, no more babies. <laughs> Maybe if a miracle happens, Colin might buy me a beer. <laughs> I'm sure that will probably happen. Yeah, totally um, totally yeah, yeah. thank you so much, Philip, uh, for being a part of this. This was fantastic, definitely inspiring, and uh, you are definitely a man making a difference. So uh, check us out at mentalks.com. Uh, you can check Philip out, like he said, at philipmckernan.com. And uh, join us next week for more uh, Defining Men, inspiring conversations. Yeah. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks, guys.